Welcome to Beyond Medicine. My name is Rami Webby. I'm the host of the podcast. I'm a physician with a particular interest in healthcare innovation, building a better healthcare experience, and overall health and well-being. In this podcast, we bring you inspiring leaders from across the medical landscape to help us build a better medicine and lead a better life. We hope you enjoy. Dr. Schwartz is an orthopedic surgeon with over 13 years of experience in private practice. He's won several awards for his accomplishments. And in addition to his clinical work, he serves, he serves as the chief innovation officer for Helent, an early stage healthcare technology company. Uh, ben, I may have just butchered the way <laughs> to say that. No, you got it. You got it. Man. Exactly right. uh, you have a very long and impressive uh, resume, Dr. Schwartz. So um, you hold, uh, from what I can see, several mentorship positions. You've helped incubators, accelerators, accelerators uh, mass challenge. Um, you have uh, quite a bit of a role in terms of helping uh, entrepreneurs and uh, health tech companies. You're on the medical advisory board for Bowie Health. And on top of all that, Ben, you're a LinkedIn top voice and you have some of the most well put together, concise, clear LinkedIn posts that I've come across. And it's actually one of the reasons I um, reached out to you because some of the sentiments that you put together in like very short per- paragraphs uh, are just sometimes I find them to be so accurate and so on the on the ball that I just resonate with them personally. Um and, you know, uh, some of our colleagues have said such really great things about you. And, um, you know, for an orthopedic surgeon and for any doctor in general, you're just really, you have your fingers on the pulse. You know what's going on in the healthcare scene. Um, I feel like you really understand some of the problems that are going on in healthcare right now. And um, you are what I would call like a physician innovator, somebody in the space who's really... Uh, kind of making us challenging us to think in different ways and to think about how we can, you know, have a better healthcare system and how we can all practice medicine in a better way. So Dr. Schwartz, thanks thanks a lot for being on the podcast with me. We're here in uh uh just outside of Boston and we're in the studio. It's nice to record in person. Um we got about like four stacks of paper <laughs> underneath your microphone because I didn't really realize you were <laughs> six foot five. Uh but it's it's really awesome to have you here. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That that's quite the introduction. And yeah, I look forward to a great conversation and, and sharing stuff in, in person rather than in written word. Yeah. Um so so you were just telling me a little bit about like your um, you know, you're doing an MBA now, right? And you want to kind of be involved in more than just your clinical practice. You want to go into some some other areas of practice. Like, what what's going on there? Yeah, something I kind of have thought about for a long time. You know, the business of healthcare and just kind of learning how to see that side of it. You know, that level of knowledge as I'm helping companies uh, that are early stage companies and learn more about. Uh, how do you look at numbers? How do you look at business plans? Uh, how do you look at entrepreneurship and, and the different steps in that process? And in my practice too, you know, in private practice, you are running a business, you are running a small business uh, now more than ever. And it's just a way to kind of understand that side of it. Yeah, I also, I love knowledge. I love learning. Uh, I feel like it's an area of, of knowledge gap for me and it's a way to fill in that gap. Um, so those are the reasons behind it and, and uh, see where it leads. But um, a month into it, so far enjoying what I'm, I'm learning and look forward to, to the rest of the class. That's great. That's awesome. Um, so 
So was there something specific that like triggered you to like anything? No, it wasn't anything in particular, just sort of getting into this whole world of uh, startups and and funding and and not really understanding it uh, very well and and trying to piece it together on my own and then realizing, you know, you don't have to do that, that there are classes out there um, and and having that business knowledge and and that formalized business knowledge uh, could be helpful and just kind of learning, um, you know, that side of it because we don't get that really excited in my medical training, medical school residency, you don't understand there's a business side of things and then in the entrepreneur space there's also a business bent to it as well that i'm just trying to understand and, and broaden my knowledge absolutely yeah and I'm, I'm i'm sort of in a similar space now also trying to like learn all the things that not only did i not learn in medical school i just totally didn't even realize the the, the outside world like outside of clinical medicine is so operates so differently than kind of like the bubble we're in, in in healthcare because we're almost like we just have a clear-cut path of like school, 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 residency. Then you just, you're secure. You are, you have a job, you're ready to go, you know, and, and there's almost even a bit of entitlement. I feel like in um, kind of like the path that we have carved out for us where it's like, you know, we expect certain things to happen once we're done because we put in all of this work and we're just like, you know, now it's like, okay, who's got my money? Who's got my 250 K <laughs> paycheck and who's going to let me do what I want to do. And then, you know, um, in the business world in the, in the world outside of just medicine, it's like, you know, nobody care unless you're providing value in the market sees value in what you do. Like, you're not going anywhere, <laughs> and, like, I'm learning the reality of, like, wow, like, I I, I was really entitled um, coming out of residency, and I was really, like, disconnected from what the real world actually wants and needs and what success looks like outside of the bubble of practicing clinical medicine. Yeah, I think it depends. Mm-hmm. You know, there's different models, whether you go employed, whether you go into academics, whether you go into private practice, and, and you get to the end of this long road and you put a lot of work into it and you're focused on learning medicine as you should be in medical school and residency and, and figuring out how to be the best you know, clinician you can be. And I think we're a little bit insulated from the business aspect of it. Uh, and then you get out and depending on where you end up, what practice situation you end up in, you know, you may realize you have to pay attention to these things because um, you are going to keep working hard, um, but you got to earn it. Nothing is necessarily handed to you just because you've gone through this process. And I think uh, understanding the business side of medicine um, is helpful no matter what your situation is. And I don't think there's anything wrong with looking at the business side of medicine. I don't think it should be taboo because it's the only way we're going to be good stewards of, of limited healthcare resources. So I think it is a little bit taboo in, in medical school and residency to talk about those kinds of things. And, and I think that that's to our detriment when we get out into practice and we have to be stewards of the healthcare system because uh, there are limited resources. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so, so we've been in some clubhouse rooms together. I think clubhouse has been really cool connecting some, uh, you know, physician innovators, people starting working on startups and, you know, people like it's attracted almost all of the change, big ba- change makers, I would say, like in medicine to come together, get on these rooms, talk about certain topics. So that's been really cool. What What's your thoughts on Clubhouse and how that's kind of been a big factor for people in medicine? Yeah, I think Clubhouse is a great forum to to get people together and, and have 
you know, active, ongoing, live conversations. Probably not as 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 active on there as I was when I first started because I think Same. you know the people tend to cluster together, and after a while, you kind of know where people are coming from and um, and what people's thoughts are and experiences and what they're working on. I, I think to me, the the best rooms are the ones that are sort of limited stages where somebody comes in that's from a company or from uh, a certain organization, and somebody's kind of interviewing them, and then later you ask questions. Uh, I think those are helpful and you learn a lot from them, but yeah, it's a good way to connect and get opinions, um, with people, but I, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if it's sustainable or if over time, you know, people kind of realize, all right, I end up in the same room with the same <laughs> over and over again. And so <laughs> yeah. I kind of know where you're, where you're coming from at this point. Yeah. That's, that's a really good uh, insight. Yeah. I totally realized that, um, and kind of phased out of it a little bit, but I do think the very specific topics where you have like just one person with some expertise in a specific area, talk about something and ask some questions in the end is a really good way to use clubhouse. Um, but we're going to, we're going to take a little bit of a turn here and we're going to try to go into some nuanced topics that I think um, are really cool. Some of which I've compiled from your LinkedIn. And one post that I really liked was, what does a physician innovator look like? And you outlined, you know, a few key things here. And you said, does it look like a private practice doc? Um, is it an academic uh, physician doing research? Um, is it someone who's critical or skeptical? Um, and you made a, a lot of really great points here. And I want to get into to you, what does a physician innovator look like? And what is and how would you define that person? Yeah, I think it's it's somebody that can come from any aspect of it. You know, as orthopedic surgeons, I, I think we're looked upon as you know we're, we're high volume, we're, we're revenue generators. Um, you know, we're, we benefit from fee for service. So, you know, what do we really know about changing the system? Because we benefit so much from the system as it exists. So. I think maybe in general orthopedic surgeons aren't viewed as, as wanting to change the system uh, as much as maybe some other specialties might be or a private practice doc who's removed from an academic setting where you're involved in cutting edge research every day or you're sort of in that health system setting where it's an integrated care delivery network. You know, are you separated from that? Um, so I think it can be anybody. I think you know you shouldn't have stereotypes. You shouldn't look at certain individuals from certain backgrounds and say, well, you know, they're they're invested in the system as it is. They're not incentivized to change. Um, I think it's anybody that sees a challenge, sees problems, wants to fix problems. However, they're going to come at that problem, uh, and you never know what somebody has to to offer. Um, and everybody comes from different backgrounds, and, and there's value because healthcare is so different from different perspectives. Uh, so I think we need to make sure we capture all the different perspectives and not just focus on, you know, somebody from academics or somebody that's, you know, an ER doc because they're used to um, uh, rapid change and, and uncertain environments and, and, you know, the stuff that you typically hear. Yeah, yeah, great point. I think some orthopedic physicians, I think, are some of the most innovative people I know because, like, you guys have so much, um, you use so many medical devices, biologics, uh, different tools and the tools seem to always be, always be changing and getting better. Uh, and you know, like there's so much innovation going on in that space. And, and I'm sure you as like a professional, as a specialist get asked all the time, how can we make this product better? How can we make the next best product? Um, so that's, that's innovative in a way. 
Yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot of innovation, obviously, in the you know devices and techniques and stuff like that. Um, but also, I think outside of that, I think orthopedic surgeons can be innovative from you know looking at the healthcare system from a different perspective um, as well, not just about devices and, and the latest and greatest um, you know gadget to use in the ER, but how do we come at healthcare from a, a different <laughs> bent, a different perspective? And I think orthopedic surgeons are very entrepreneurial in that way as well in terms of, you know, starting surgery centers or value-based care uh, models and and things like that that are sort of outside the traditional um, latest and greatest gadgets. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, some of the most entrepreneurial people I know, I think, are orthopedic surgeons. I think I've mentioned Dr. Sigmund. Shout out Scott Sigmund, the fro. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, he's he's doing a lot of entrepreneurial things. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of other uh, orthopedic surgeons seem to be doing that as well. And, um, for me, I think in, in, to your point, like anybody really is an innovator and it's just, you have to have the desire to kind of want change. And a lot of times wanting change comes from experiencing faults in the systems, problems, um, and things that you wish you could make better because you don't want the next generation to have to face those problems and it comes from, you know, that bond you have from with your colleagues and wanting to make the system better for them and, and for yourself as well. And, you know, um, I think it's, the, it's, it's that like essence of like trying to solve things and make them better. And maybe that's just a, you know, a function of being human. We always strive to make things better. Um, so I, I like that definition. I love it. And, uh, um, you know, I guess what is it? What is it that has made you specifically on LinkedIn? Like, I think you've been really good at articulating what a lot of us feel or see. Like, what is it about that? Like, where do you, where, where does that come from for you? Yeah, for me, it's, you know, my mind is always moving. I'm always kind of thinking about this type of stuff. Mm-hmm. You read something, it just kind of gets you going. And then your thoughts start to form and start to kind of coalesce around a a well-formed thought. So that's kind of the process for me. You know, I'll read something or I'll hear something or somebody will say something and it it sparks a a thought in your brain and then it kind of grows from there. Um, I've always been better with the written word than the spoken word. It's just um, the way my mind works. And, And so then it kind of, you know, how do I, put this thought into something that makes sense and, and gets the point across. Uh, and then you kind of take it from there. Yeah. You know, I, I never went to LinkedIn with the intention of becoming a top voice or becoming some thought leader or social media or whatever. It was more just to make those connections and get in front of people that I wouldn't otherwise have a chance to get in front of in my daily life, you know, seeing patients and doing surgeries all day and stuff like that. So it was a way to make connections. It was a way to, to meet people and have conversations like these and get involved in these, you know, companies and, and efforts and stuff like that. It's been very successful from that mm-hmm. standpoint. But, you know, yeah, it's not about being a thought leader. It's not about, you know, building a brand, for me at least. Yeah. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. It really is about making connections and seeing what, what 
crops up and learning from other people. You know, my secret is that I get my wife to read most stuff before I post it. Um, she's kind of my filter and like, yeah, either that doesn't make any sense or no, it's not worth posting. Or you said something just like that yesterday, uh, stuff like that. So that's the key. Get somebody that you trust uh, their opinion to, to read it for you, uh, before you post it. So, um, you know, she'll, she'll know when, when I've, I've yeah. got that glint in my eye, that I'm going to be asking her to come read something soon. So that's my secret. It's out. <laughs> that's awesome well i'm sure she's gonna be happy to hear that yeah. um and uh, to your point yeah having a great partner really does help with with, uh, with kind of like formulating your thoughts in the right way getting the right feedback um uh, totally agree with that yeah i'm really lucky yeah. in that respect my wife has a, a medical background she was a nurse anesthetist uh, for a long time and then you know now uh is a stay-at-home mom but uh, she's doing some some side stuff with flat iron health as a matter of fact she's in digital health herself um but yeah, she, she gets what I'm doing, what I'm trying to do, and has been incredibly supportive uh, of me. So it's, it's, I'm really fortunate to have her, um, yeah. and her support. That's sure. awesome. Yeah. Shout out, Mrs. Schwartz. Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> All right. So let's get into a little bit more, uh, detailed kind of like nuanced things. And like the last year has been just totally chaotic, but totally, um, uh, it, you know, and I guess revolutionary. I don't know if that's the right word, but totally, lots changed in the last year. And digital health companies have exploded. There's, you know, a new telemedicine company popping up every day, almost like something like thirty-one billion dollars was put into digital health in the last year. And it seems like every single topic I come across on Clubhouse has to do with some kind of health tech company. So clearly, a lot's changed in the last year. You know, the pandemic's obviously sped up a lot of things. Um, and the health tech industry is, you know, I've, I've, I've noticed a lot of talk about like, this is going to revolutionize healthcare. It's going to be the big next change. Um, this is going to change the whole dynamics of the system. And, um, you know, I'm often skeptical a little bit of like, well, is this just another, are we just really covering a surface problem? Or are we really getting to the root of an actual problem? I have my own thoughts, opinions on that, like that, you know, I feel like I, I'm not ready to go into fully yet, but I want to know from you, what is your take on like everything that's happened in the last year, all of the new health tech companies and what those, what has actually been solved and how much further are we along in actually having a better healthcare system? Yeah. I mean, I think it's clear that it was headed in that direction before the pandemic that, you know, even, you know, 2018, 2019, there was, there was building investment in healthcare technology. I think COVID accelerated that for whatever reason, whether it was because you know, there was this so-called black swan event that we'd never anticipated as, you know, once in a generation thing that really shook healthcare as foundation because healthcare was always thought of as sort of this, you know, un, un, challengeable thing where there's you know, security and, and, um, and COVID kind of showed that, that maybe it's not as secure as we think that it is. And there's got to be other models and modes of care and, and technology kind of stepped into that, fill that void with, you know, telehealth, telemedicine, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so I think it accelerated that adoption clearly, you know, with, with money pouring in. The question is, is that sustainable, uh, as COVID, you know, starts to fade, 
will we go back to the way things were before? Is, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Is it just, you know, healthcare is so unwilling to change that you're going to fall back in these bad processes, bad habits, you know, ignoring technology, not taking advantage of what technology can do? Or is it that you know, that that stuff works and that's why we go back to it? You know, is there a happy medium between what technology can help us do and, and what works from a traditional standpoint. Are we marrying those two things together? Um, yeah, it's tough for me to try to exist in both worlds because I get up every day and I go treat patients and then uh, exist in the, you know, the clinical world and then exist in the healthcare technology innovation space outside of that and, and you know, don't want to be skeptical, but how do I bridge those two worlds. And, and at times it seems like the two worlds are very far apart. And what I'm seeing in my clinical practice and on the ground of practicing medicine is far removed from what maybe somebody that's outside of medicine is trying to disrupt medicine thinks is going on. So you know, how do you kind of, of thread that needle of, of what clinical medicine is really like and where you can make an improvement and what works and what doesn't work, uh, you know, versus, you know, doctors being skeptical and not adopting technology that can help what they're doing. Versus your know, technology, which can be helpful, but maybe doesn't understand fully what the challenges are. And, and an idea that seems great in, in theory doesn't necessarily work great in practice. Mm. And, and I wonder if, if the pandemic has caused us to overshoot a little bit or maybe be a little bit too excited about what technology can do. And, and we need to take a little bit of a step back um, to make sure that what we're doing is, is money well spent, time well spent, and things that are making a difference. Um, you know, we can talk about you know, the venture capital money flowing in if you want to segue to that yeah. and, and what that means. Um, you know, but again, I think we just have to make sure that what we're doing makes sense, makes mm-hmm. a difference and, and don't go too fast. Yeah. Yeah. No, great point. And, uh, yeah, there's a couple of areas I want to go with this. One area is the in theory versus the actual, what's actually happening and leading to some of the issues. And the second thing I want to talk about is the, the venture capital money and what that means and what the incentives are for venture capital and why that conflicts with the actual interests, uh, not interests, but the actual outcomes of what ends up happening, right? Because the interests aren't always aligned. Um, so, so in theory, we think telemedicine or all these, the, 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 the technology pieces, you know, telemedicine, digital health or whatever solutions uh, are on either on the back end or front end of that. Um, what are they actually solving here? Are they solving an actual issue of interface of like the actual platform, you know, between the doctor and the patient? And is that what they're solving? Solving? Um, and are they just solving an issue of connectivity? Are they solving uh, an issue of transparency? Um, and then are they solving? You know, for me, I'm thinking, what is the ultimate problem we as doctors face and practice? And when I think back to the root issues, I really go back to number one, culture, um, two, autonomy, three, flexibility, and four, just, you know, doing things on your own terms, which is autonomy. Um, so, so when I think back, I'm like, well, are, is, are, is this company solving that issue? I guess telemedicine, I guess you could leave your job and, you know, just work from home remotely and see patients as you want. That does solve some issue. Um, but then, you know, what happens, you know, is that, is that reasonable to do for everybody? Can everyone just cop on and do telemedicine? At what point do we say, okay, well, we can't all do this. Some of us got to be in the office practicing seeing patients. Um, and, 
So like my mind's always kind of running in this direction. And, um, what I've seen in, in, and, and what I've seen doctors actually get freed up in, in, in terms of living a better life and actually practicing medicine the way they want. I've seen that happen with direct primary care. And I always use, I kill this example. I'm sorry <laughs> for anybody listening here. Uh, but you know, it's putting autonomy and flexibility and ownership back in the physician's hands. They own their practice. They own their relationship. There's no middlemen. Nobody's coordinating the relationship, patient, the, the, the relationships directly between the doctor and the patient. They come to an agreement. There's price transparency, and there's um, there's no more fee for service. So the incentives change. So you just get paid monthly. Doesn't matter how much or how often you see a patient, and it almost acts as its own insurance policy because you know you might see some patients more, you might see some patients less, and it, it just seems to work out that way. Um, but I wonder with all the technology and the incentives that have happened with telemedicine and things like that, are we really getting to the fundamental issues? Yeah, I think there's there's different problems that you're solving for in healthcare. And I think that's the, the one thing that makes it so challenging is that it, the way one person interacts with the healthcare system is different than another person. What one doctor uh, wants from technology might be different than what another doctor wants for technology. I think you're building solutions for doctors, you're building solutions for uh, patients, you're building solutions for companies that uh, are self-insured. Um, and so those different solutions are going to look different and they're going to help different aspects of the healthcare system differently. Uh, and I think how do you make sure that you are building solutions for all those different stakeholders? And then, you know, one person might have private insurance, another person might have Medicare, one person might be in a big city, one person might be in a rural area. Uh, and so it, it, it's hard to find one size fits all solutions. And I think the solutions that you're building, you know, the more that they can help everybody within the system, um, the better off you are. Uh, but it's hard to, I think you have to focus in on one segment uh, to start off with because it's hard to be all things to all people. Uh, at once, you know, in terms of building for doctors specifically, yeah, it's about freeing you up. It's about making better use of your time, you know, having tools that don't add more complexity to your day or, or, you know, have more data flying at you that you're not sure what to do with, but really about uh, removing some of those barriers and, and uh, making things uh, smoother and, and more efficient in your day-to-day -day practice. And I think that's the technology that's going to yeah. help doctors directly. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. What do you think about, um, and this is something I'm thinking about more recently, because here I am, I'm working on a startup right now, so I'm also looking to supplement my income so that I'm just doing something on the side. So I have a telemedicine gig on the side, and then I do some consulting work. And I see, like, you know, I see a lot of doctors do this thing where they're now, like, either transitioning out of practice, taking on, like, a part-time job with a telemedicine company, non and then maybe working on a passion project a side gig or something like that and i i see the technology like making it very very um just very very nice to actually just possibly leave practice and just do a side telemedicine gig and then do something else which you're excited about doing and it may even be seeing patients on the side in a different model or even seeing patients for free just to fulfill that that you know like that that essence of why we went into medicine because like then there's no more barriers there's no more like all you know all the things that we deal with in practice that make it frustrating 
It's just you're getting back to the essence. And so I see this possibility of a lot of doctors just leaving, doing some of these side gigs that are all now available in these telemedicine-specific niche opportunities, whether that's like I'm seeing like hormone replacement, there's cannabis, there's all these literal like niche, niche opportunities which all need a physician uh, to practice in. And what happens when all of that takes away from the core of like people in practice or people like working a hospital gig, like could that potentially be a problem? Yeah. I don't think there's any question yeah. that, you know, they're already sort of predicting doctor shortages in the future. And now if you have a lot of doctors leaving, uh, you know, full-time practice and, and going to these niche areas that maybe are a little bit better lifestyle or a little bit of a different um, flavor from what they're used to practicing, you know, it's not good. I think, um, it probably happens a lot more than we realize right now. I think COVID accelerated some of that as well of, of people getting burnt out the system, burnt out of the system. You know, we have the highest percentage of employed physicians that we've ever had. Um, and, and there's problems that are endemic to the system that lead to that. And the question is, is technology helping that? Is it not helping that? Are there solutions being built? You know, direct primary care is an example that can help to reverse that trend. Is that applicable, you know, to specialty care or other areas? Um, and I often wonder, you know, is anybody building solutions that put the doctor-patient relationship at the center and, and strip away some of these things that cause doctors to get burnt out and want to leave medicine? And when you talk about Amazon, you talk about Walmart, you talk about some of these, you know, big companies that are, um, uh, you know, merging together, um, are they putting the doctor and patient first, or is it you know, just a business model? And, and I often wonder, where do I fit in if I was a doctor to go work for Amazon or Walmart? Is it a better life for me? Is it you know freedom from the traditional healthcare system and all the frustrations that are there? Or is it simply a different set of frustrations where you're a means to an end? And I think in healthcare, to, to feel like a means to an end is a huge uh, issue that that leads to burnout that look i'm yeah. just this cog in this wheel like you said loss of autonomy um you know so do these non-traditional so-called disruptors are they a boon to doctors or are they just another um uh, entity that's going to treat doctors as a means to an end and, and isn't really going to address burnout yeah yeah i see i see this being a potentially huge problem right like if amazon or you know all these the niche telemedicine companies have become very attractive to physicians and they're offering a better lifestyle and better work, what happens to the hospital, local hospitals that then just can't get physicians to work for them because it just doesn't even make sense anymore and it just doesn't even seem appealing anymore? Like, what happens to the market then? What happens to, like, how do they recruit physicians to actually take care of their patients that come through the hospitals? And then does that force them to change? Does that force them to then become more attractive? Does that force the change that we want to see? It's interesting because competition is good, right? Competition forces change. Competition forces, you know, people to do things differently and adapt or potentially, you know, just die out. So I'm, I'm really curious. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit like nervous, but also very curious. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I think part of the model, too, is particularly some of these other outside companies is, you know, doctors, we hear you practice at the top of your license, which basically means that, you know, we'll have a few doctors and a lot of, you know, health coaches or, you know, kind of uh, 
care, mid-level care providers um, instead of doctors. You know, uh, whether that's good or bad, you know, I don't know whether that's something that patients want. Uh, I don't know uh, whether that does make sense to say you know, we're freeing up doctors from the menial tasks um, to, to be able to focus on the more important stuff. Uh, that's kind of how it gets couched. Or, or is it just you know, doctors are expensive and, and I'd rather hire somebody that's less expensive and, and try to, mm. you know, kind yeah. of, you know, keep it to a lower level of care. Um you know, type of thing. So I don't know. I think that gets back to the whole, at what point do you have to prove that this model works? It's delivering good quality care that, that patients are happy with. Um, and it may very well be. Um, but, but I think at some point we need to, to prove that that's the case, that these models actually do deliver good, high quality care that, that patients, uh, like. Yeah. Do you know, do you at all, um, do you see the possibility of like more of a two tier system, taking place where like the doctor doctors are essentially being sought out for private almost concierge care since you know certain people only want to see a doctor and then hospitals going the more um, uh, cost affordable route where they hire more mid-levels and uh, then just have some oversight and so like you then fall into these two categories of care where people that can afford a doctor will just go and see a doctor. People that can't will just go see a mid-level. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a possibility that you can head in that direction. Um, you know, if say Medicare reimbursement drops so low that people opt out of the system and you got to go uh, private, um, and, and just see patients that can pay out of pocket. It's almost kind of like an Australian system where you have this public private system. Um, yeah, we don't want to worsen healthcare disparities necessarily. Uh, you know, whether or not that's good or bad, um, you know, is, is hard to say. I mean, on the one hand, if you have a, a fully public system where people can get care that's taxpayer funded uh, and has good quality care, and then if somebody doesn't want to go through the government system, you know, and they can pay out of pocket, um, is that worsening healthcare disparities? Is it creating more of a has versus have not system, or is it a way to kind of uh, be able to offer you know, both of those things. So, you know, I think there's a possibility of, of, of a, a two-tiered system. I think it's just a matter of, of whether or not um, it's providing equal access and equal mm -hmm. quality of care. Yeah. I mean, the for me, the, whenever we talk about that, I always wonder, like, you know, I, I, I wonder if a system in Amer like that in America would even work. Because, because, like, when you have more options now, if you create this kind of system, what does it do to the, does it overload the system? And then do the people in the system get burnt out even more and just decide to, like, leave and practice in a different sense? And does that exacerbate the issue? And, like, how do we actually solve it without, like, overload? Because at the end of the day, you know, we, I, I feel like policymakers aren't realizing who provide all the people that provide the service are the doctors, are the the mid levels, the nurses. You got to think about what's happening to them when you create these kind of policy changes, and what does that do in a cultural sense, and what does that lead to when people aren't satisfied with their work, like, and now they have other options, right? I think about this a lot. I don't know if I'm just paranoid, but I just think like, what happens when people just have other options and can just leave? Yeah, I mean, I think we're seeing that to a degree that, um, 
there are other options if you're not satisfied with what you're doing. You know, maybe it is start a company. Maybe it is go join a health tech company uh, startup as, as another opportunity. And, and we need you know, doctors within the system. We need providers, healthcare providers within the system. Uh, and I think we have to be cautious that we're not creating a system that's just driving people out, um, an increasing burden of, of practicing and, and hoop, more hoops to jump through, um, that there is a, a way out uh, that, that people are going to take it. And it's hard. You go through um, you know, four years of medical school and, and whatever your, however long your residency fellowship training is, it's a lot of time investments, a lot of financial investment. Um, and I think physicians sometimes feel, you know, trapped because you have put in this time investment, this monetary investment, and, and you've been passionate about this and you get out there in the real world and, and your sort of passion has been sapped and taken away, but you sort of feel like you're, you're stuck within that system. And I think that's an unfortunate, um, reality of what we're dealing with right now and, and how do we reverse that um, within the practice of medicine yeah absolutely I've definitely felt that way and I think I talked to you a little bit about this off camera of just feeling really burnt out at one point um, and I think a lot of physicians feel that way and it's um, you know it's something that's always talked about and it does it does bring a lot of it does feel nice when you're not you realize you're not the only one experiencing <laughs> these things and i think like having that community of doctors be able to talk to each other and uh share their real feelings about what's going on is really important for 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 all of our colleagues um and uh you know i'm going to just also kind of move in a similar direction here with um some of the talks we so you've talked a little bit about walmart um and about amazon and about some other big tech companies or, you know, big corporations coming, moving into the healthcare space. What, what do you think that means for all of us physicians? And, and I think, I know you've touched on this earlier, but in the sense of like this corporatization of healthcare, what it, could this end? Is there any way this ends well for, for us? <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a, it's a fascinating question, right? Are, are we part of the problem? Are we part of the solution? Are we viewed as part of the problem or part of the solution? Are we viewed as a, a necessary evil, a means to an end that, you know, at some point at the top of the chain, maybe there needs to be a, a doctor? Um, I don't know. I think the potential is there for it to be a, a very good, meaningful relationship. Um, but the question is, is it going to be that or are physicians just a means to an end? in these efforts, um, you know, Walmart with the centers of excellence program, you know, a part of that is look, we don't think doctors or average community doctor is delivering good, high value, high quality care. And so we're going to take our employees, your patients out of the community and send them to these centers of excellence because we feel like the care there is, is better. And, and I think, um, you know, part of that presentation was the, I think it was the CEO of Walmart getting up on stage and kind of wagging her finger, you know, at community physicians that you no longer, you're going to be able to seek rent from us and, and, you know, milk our, our employees for, 
low value, low quality care. And it's like, well, you know, wait a minute. Uh, that's not necessarily the case that there is good quality care in the community. And, and is that what you're really doing? Or are you sending patients to these centers of excellence because you know, the center of excellence is less likely going to offer them surgery and you're just saving money that way. I mean, what are your true intentions and, and where do physicians fit into that? And I think the same could be said of, of Amazon or any non-traditional company. Like, yeah. how do you value doctors and, and do we deserve special considerations? Is there anything that's special about us or are we right. just kind of, do we, do we have a sense of entitlement um, that's not earned? And I think that's uh, a question that still needs to be answered. Right. That's interesting. I mean, maybe, I don't know what, I'm not familiar with this Centers for Excellence thing, but it, I mean, I could totally see why a company might say that because if you're, if you do have this kind of, uh, you know, if you do have this high volume practice, community practice where you're just seeing 25, 30 patients, which I've been in <laughs> and I've seen that, I know, I know patients aren't getting great care because it's not possible. Like I don't have time to sit and see a patient for 30 minutes to an hour and spend the time to really get to the root of their issues. Like we have 10 minutes and it's on to the next one. So, I mean, in the, in the insurance based model and the fee for service model, we all, I think every physician realizes that no one's getting good care in that kind of a model. And maybe these companies are also realizing that and they, they may have a point. I don't know. I don't know what Amazon's doing, but, um, it, it comes back to like, what is the market see as, and, and this is where maybe entitlement comes in as physicians, where we, believe that because we've done all of this work and gone through all of this training and, you know, dedicated all this time to learning, you know, if things become more of a free market, we got to figure out where do I really bring value and how do I step into that role and then not be so attached to my credentials or to what I've been taught in school, but where do I actually bring value? And I think that's a, that for me, that's been a big realization. It's like, where do I really bring value? Yeah, I think to me that's the promise of technology, of non-traditional companies in healthcare is the ability to kind of strip away all of the, the stuff that's not taking care of patients that, that makes our day longer that, you know, I, I can only spend five minutes with a patient because for every five minutes I spend, I spend 10 minutes, you know, putting stuff into a computer system or, you know, my overhead is so high in practice that I have to, you know, see a, a ton of patients to be able to keep up with the cost of practicing medicine at this point, which keeps going up and up and up. Um, so to me, that is the, what's potentially exciting about technology or an Amazon or Walmart or somebody from outside the healthcare system coming in and saying, yes, we're going to strip away all that stuff. We're going to make this stuff efficient. We're going to leverage technology um, to, to make it so that you're just focused on taking care of that patient. The rest of that stuff falls away. You know, whether or not they want to do that, whether or not that's their intention, um, you know, who's to say? I think that potential is there. Um, but who knows whether that's something somebody wants to tackle or not. Right. Now, do you, th now, I know when we talk in like a general sense here, sometimes I'm putting more of like a primary care lens on things and not so much a specialty care lens. Um, so a lot of what I'm saying probably doesn't even apply in that scenario. Um, but like, let's say from your, from your lens of a specialist and, you know, like there's always going to be a need for, orthopedic surgeons people are always going to need surgery in some capacity how do you see this does this have just as much of an effect on a specialist surgeons in particular or do you see it having less of an effect yeah i think it can have an equal effect you know, specialty care is a little bit 
different. Oftentimes it's attached to a hospital, a surgery center, what have you. You know, it tends to be more complex, more expensive to the system, but it doesn't mean there aren't opportunities to make things more efficient. Uh, I think we're seeing and we'll continue to see a shift to a surgery center setting, which I think can improve costs. It can streamline care. Uh, I think there's more interest in um, you know, making things more efficient, even in the specialty care mm-hmm. space. So I, I don't think it's a specialty care can't benefit from these types of models or this type of change. Um, you know, maybe it's a little bit more complex than primary care, but I certainly think that it's it's doable and it's been done mm-hmm. in small doses in some areas. And are these surgery centers owned by physicians? They can be. A lot of them are owned by physicians uh, or joint ventures with hospitals or joint ventures mm-hmm. with a, a, a management company. Um, you know, so they're out there, and, and it's a, it, an efficient way to deliver care. It's uh, more cost-effective. You maintain more control and more autonomy uh, over what goes on, and it could be a great experience for the patients as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I don't know if it was you or not that maybe wrote this book, but, but it, I guess it's true that you know physicians can't own a hospital. And maybe you think you had uh, some kind of post about that? Yeah, so that was part of uh, Obamacare, um, that they were no longer allowed physician ownership of hospitals, um, you know, essentially because of of potential for misaligned incentives. And, and, um, you know, I I tend to disagree with that. There was good data beforehand that physician-owned hospitals deliver good quality care, less expensive care. The criticism is... Lemon dropping that you're not going to take care of, of complex patients. You're just going to send them to the uh, academic medical center or the local hospital because they're bad for your bottom line. Um, you know, and, and, and certainly that can happen. But I think there, there's decent evidence that physician-owned hospitals, done right, can deliver high quality care. And in this day and age, probably for a significant percentage of the population, you're not going to be able to treat everybody if it's not a full-service tertiary hospital or somebody's very complex. Um, but I think when you have ownership of something, obviously you have a vested interest in making sure that it's good quality, that's a great patient experience. Um, you know, and if you have a financial stake in it as well, it does create some some tricky incentives when you when you talk about healthcare. You can look at it one way of of you know it's creating the wrong incentives, like fee for service uh, is is felt to do. But it could also be, hey, if I have an ownership in this, I'm going to be vested in making sure that we deliver high value, high quality care, that not, we're not wasting you know, money and resources because that's coming out of my bottom line. So it, it's, a, it's a difficult line to walk, but I think it's time to reconsider physician-owned hospitals as an alternative. Hmm. It seems kind of absurd. Like, So if like anybody but a physician can own a hospital, <laughs> is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it basically... Uh, I think the concern was uh, the concerns that I mentioned, you know, misaligned financial incentives, you know, uh, lemon dropping the, the, the complicated patients um, to try to you know, protect your bottom line. And those are, are real risks for sure. Um, but I think it, it ignores the potential benefits of, of a, a situation like that. Uh, but is it like, um, is it just physicians that are practicing within a hospital can't own it or like, Anybody that has an MD or DO title cannot own a hospital. Yeah, I don't know exactly how they break it down, uh, you know, in terms of, of if you're actively practicing or, or, or the exact, um, you know, letter of the law. But essentially, the, the high-level view is that you, know, you can't have physician ownership of, of hospitals. Um, 
as of uh, whenever Obamacare was passed. Hmm. That is, uh, that's interesting. Oh, all right. Well, um, what are you, um, I guess what's you, what are you most passionate about right now? What is your, what do you want to do in the world in the next five to 10 years? Yeah, I'm, I'm passionate about this confluence of healthcare, technology, and then how do we make things better, right? Those three things kind of coming together. So we know we don't leverage technology well enough in healthcare right now that there's a huge opportunity there. But let's do it in a way that makes sense. And then we know that the existing models of healthcare aren't great, don't work very well. Uh, you know, so how do we change that? And how do I leverage what I've learned in 13 years of practice with what I'm learning in the healthcare technology and innovation space? So to kind of sit at that crossroads of using technology to make healthcare better and, and to deliver you know, better models of care. And so that's what I'm trying to learn about and, and get experience with. And, um, you know, that's where I would see myself five to 10 years down the road. Awesome. And where do you see, where do you see that entire community in five to 10 years? Yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see, you know, will we see a bubble in healthcare technology? Is there going to be consolidation as we've already started to see and, and you know, sort of the big players survive and some of the smaller ones fall away? Um, you know, will we see sort of a, a pullback once we're over COVID and things kind of go back to a you know, more normal healthcare system that we're used to? Will we see um, this sort of rush to technology um, turn back the other direction? Or is it, I think it's here to stay, whether or not we're going to see this acceleration um, to that degree uh, remains to be seen um, down the road. I think, will we continue to see consolidation in traditional healthcare with hospitals and health systems? Will we continue to see physicians become employed or get burnt out and, and, and leave the system? And, and will we, is, is healthcare undisruptable? You know, are incumbents unassailable? Uh, or is it possible to, you know, start to turn the tide? And will healthcare technology do that? Or are they just sort of nibbling at the edges and will always nibble at the edges because it's too hard to take on the system and what's, you know, the real, deep-rooted problems in the system and oh. i think maybe that's what we saw with with haven healthcare they, they just kind of looked at it and said eh, you know what it's it's complex as we thought and probably <laughs> not worth you know it's just there's too much yeah. to, to to bite off here and it's not worth uh, the effort so yeah. that's the question will anybody be able to to really be able to start turning the ship right and uh i guess for others listening doctors listening that are in that position of Man, I really want to be part of this change. I really want to see a better healthcare system. I really want to learn and contribute and, and do something that makes a difference. And they don't really know where to start. You know, like if you're in everyday practice, it's just like you got too much things to do. Um, what would you say to someone that wants to have a, uh, you know, a hand in being part of the difference? Like where do they get started? Who do they talk to? Who do they learn? How do they just, you know, just start? Yeah, I think it depends on what your interests are. Um, there's always professional societies. That's a great way to get involved. Uh, yeah, I do stuff with the AOS. There's the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. I do stuff with the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons. Every area you know, of medicine has their specialty society where you can do advocacy work, where you can get involved in committees and, and things like that. Uh, I think if you're coming at it from a, a you know, hospital health system bent and try to get involved in, you know, leadership positions within your hospital and health system. Um, you know, it can be frustrating. Uh, things tend to happen slowly. Uh, and I think, um, you know, you have to kind of stick it out and then it's, it's small incremental changes. But 
I think as physicians, we have you know, sometimes this natural tendency to maybe complain, but not want to do anything about it. And I think we have <laughs> yeah. to fight that tendency a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you're interested in healthcare technology, then reach out, be a mentor. A lot of these companies, incubators, accelerators, you know, need physicians that have real world experience to help them understand uh, the way healthcare really is practiced. So that's a way to get involved. You know, reach out through social media. You know, not that you have to be posting on LinkedIn every day, but you know, connect with people that are doing interesting things or saying mm-hmm. interesting things. Um, it's a great way to kind of get involved in, in in some of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that physicians are uh, industry experts. They know what's going on, and their advice mm-hmm. is really valuable. Um, so there's always room to just get started. And um, I always tell people like, if you don't know where to start, if you're kind of like you don't think you really have somewhere, you don't have something to offer, just find people that are building stuff that needs your expertise and opinion and, and find out how you can help them add value to their, to whatever they're doing and start out doing it to gain experience. And then, you know, as you're able to gain that experience, ask for recommendations, ask for reviews, build up your name in that sense. And then you kind of can slowly move forward and, you know, get paid and make sure you get paid. And I think you're an advocate for that to making, making sure like, um, you know, yeah, it's a fine line. I mean, I do a lot of stuff. I, a lot of people reach out to me and, and I try to, because there are people that help me along the way. I try Mm -hmm. to help people and and try to, you know, give them my time when I can and and understanding that some people, you know, early stage or or what have you and, and, you know, money's tight and whatever. And to me, I get out of it talking to somebody, you know, making a connection, learning something interesting. I, I don't require that people, you know, pay me or, or you know, pay consulting or anything like that because, you know, karma, hopefully someone pays it forward and knows maybe down somewhere down the road we'll cross paths again. Um, I think, too, doing this kind of stuff for me is is invigorating. It's, it's you know, not necessarily work-life balance, but work-life harmony, um, cause it kind of keeps me fresh and it's something that allows me to use my medical expertise in a little bit of a different way than seeing and treating patients, but it's still medically related, but it keeps me, you know, interested and, and, you know, I enjoy doing it, um, you know, outside of my typical clinical practice. So I think it's a good way to kind of, you know, refresh yourself in, in terms of, of, you know, being a doctor and being in medicine. Yeah. I love that. I love that word work-life harmony. Like it, it just makes a lot of sense. Cause I've, I feel that harmony right now doing some of the things that I'm doing. Totally love that. Love yeah, that. I mean, for sure. And then, and, and, you know, you still have to have your balance. You, know, you have a family and, and you can't let it consume you. And you have to, you know, also do outside stuff. Um, but I think, again, to me, doing this health tech stuff or innovation stuff doesn't feel like work, even though technically it is. Um, because it, it just, it's, it's a refreshing and, and it's stuff that's interesting and kind of keeps you uh, on your toes. Yeah. Well, uh, I think, uh, we're, we're ready to wrap things up here. Dr. Schwartz, um, man, what a great conversation. I feel very intellectually stimulated and, and my brain's now thinking of, of ways in which we can, uh, maybe even talk after this show a little bit, but, um, I want our audience to be able to connect with you. Definitely follow you on LinkedIn and keep up with your posts, posts because they're extremely insightful. Um, where can we send people to follow you and learn more about you? Yeah, I think I'm pretty easy to find on LinkedIn and connect uh, through me that way. Um, probably the best way. Um, send me a message. Uh, happy to share my email address. You know, at that point, if it's easier. 
Um, but yeah, feel free to reach out through there. That's probably the best way. I'm on Twitter. I don't, I don't tweet a whole heck of a lot, but you can DM me on Twitter as well if that's easier. Awesome. Dr. Ben Schwartz, it's been a pleasure to talk with you, brother. Thank you for coming here, and uh, we'll catch you guys again on our next episode. Thanks for having me.